All right, so we've been, the last few weeks, talking about this new self as we've gone through the book of Colossians, and we've heard Paul's instructions to this church, and how it is that we're supposed to put on this new self, and we hear that, we think about me and an individual, but as Paul is talking to them, he's talking about this new self, which is the church, which is them together, right? We're individuals, but we're part of a body. We're part of this new self, which is the church, which is Christ. We're His body. And so we do that together. And we've talked about that we put on these new perspectives, how we think. We put on these new perspectives with the new self. And then last week we talked about this new attitude of thankfulness, this attitude of gratitude, right, that we have because of the gospel. As we have this new perspective, as we have these new practices, we do all of that with thanksgiving. And it's because of the gospel, right? We have this position of peace that we talked about, that God has given us this position with Him, where He's raised us with Him, we're seated next to Him, He's hidden our life with Him, and we know that one day for eternity we will be with Him. So we have this amazing position where He's reconciled or made right our relationships, and we're to grow in understanding of that gospel. We're to grow in understanding of this position that we have, and as we do that we'll become more and more thankful. And it's to spread to every area of our lives. Every relationship, every interaction, everything that we do, we should have that perspective of the gospel. We should be thankful, no matter what the situation, no matter what the outcome, that we can be thankful for the gospel, because the gospel doesn't change. Our position with Jesus Christ will not change. If you know Him, if you're His son or daughter, that's it, it's done, it's over, we can rely on that, it won't change. Your life will change, your relationships will change. Your situation will change. Everything else will change. But the gospel will not change. Your position with Jesus Christ will not change. And so we can be thankful regardless of the situation. And so Paul's been talking about this, as I read this, a little more theoretically, right? Just think about, because this is what you need to think. This is what you're going to do. This is the attitude you're going to have. And he moves from this very theoretical, now in these verses that we're going to look at today, to very practical. He gets into specific relationships. And how is it that we're supposed to interact in these specific relationships? He's gone from the general to the specific, and he's looking at these relationships within the church, within the body of Christ. So let me read, first in English and then in Spanish, Colossians 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. So Colossians 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Verse 22. Slaves, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing 
that you also have a master in heaven. So as we study this passage this morning, we've got two things that are working against us. The one is that you guys are wondering, okay, how close to the start of the World Cup final are we going to get out of church? And now I've sat down, and if I get up, everybody's going to know where I'm going at 12 o'clock. And, and I'll make a deal with you. If you guys listen, right? If you pay attention, right? There'll be blessing. There'll be good things for you, right? But if you choose to sin, then you'll suffer. All right? We'll go on and on and on and on. All right? I'm just kidding. But the second thing is, is that you guys, many of us, have heard these words or similar passages to this, and you think, oh, I'm familiar with that. I understand these roles. I've heard this before. I know about wives and husbands and children and fathers. Makes sense to me. I've heard that before. I mean, right, the Bible's full of that, right? I mean, I've understood that. I've heard it preached. I've studied it. I've read books on it. And what I want to ask is that you guys let go of that for right now. In one sense, I want you to let go of what you think you have in your mind, of the understanding that you think you have of these roles. And I want to stop, and I want us to look at And I'm going to spend a good bit of time looking at the context of this passage and looking at the context of these instructions that Paul is giving to this church in Colossae before we actually get to the verses. Because there's some things I think in this, as I studied this, and I went back to the scripture and back to the text and back to the text, that I think we need to unlearn or not apply in this situation. Because we need to submit to God's word. We need to be under it. And so I want to just show you a few things um, before we go forward. Because if we want to look at just these roles of a husband, of a wife, of father and children, and of slaves and masters, if we want to just look specifically at the roles, we could go to a different passage, a different book. We could go to Ephesians. Ephesians is a book, it's a sister letter, it's a letter that Paul wrote at a very similar time from a similar place. When he was in Rome in prison, he wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he also wrote to the church in Colossae. And you can see a lot of similarities in these letters, but there's also many differences. And so I want to show you guys some of the similarities, but also some of the differences. Because in Ephesians 5, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, you see very similar words, very similar ideas. But if you guys can't see, this is for wives and husbands for children and fathers and then for slaves and masters in Ephesians Paul spends 12 verses talking about wives and husbands talking about these roles and these relationships but a lot of this is actually showing how that shows Christ so he's bringing Christ into this in Ephesians 5 and 6 for children and fathers He has four verses. Four verses when he's talking about this household of the church. When he talks about slaves and masters, five verses. Okay, that's Ephesians. It goes into detail, much more detail, about each of these roles, each of these interactions, these relationships. Now, for Colossians, he does two verses on wives and husbands. He does two verses on children's and children, not children's, right? Children and parents. 
And then again, he does five verses about slaves and masters. Now, my point in showing you this is as I go through this, you guys might expect me, because of what you've heard before, to talk mostly about wives, husbands, children, and fathers. But if you look, he spends more time addressing slaves and masters, particularly the slaves. The slaves by themselves have four verses. The slaves by themselves have just as many verses, just as many instructions as the wives, husbands, children, and fathers. And in both cases, he's spending the same amount of time talking to the slaves and talking to the masters. And we need to see that a little bit differently. Because when you look at this, even in your Bible, right, the typical headings, you know how the, there's headings in your Bible that talk about the sections, okay? Those are not inspired, those are not from the original text. Those, the, the translators have put those there to help us to understand. So they've made their own interpretation and they've placed that there. And if you look at the ESV Bible that we use, that I teach from, it says rules for Christian households. If you look at the NIV, it says instructions for Christian households. Or if you look at the NASB, it says family relations. And so the question is, is has, have we interpreted that to fit our preferences or our priorities? When I say instructions for the household, are you thinking about your household, not here, not the household of the church, but you're thinking about your specific household, but in your house, in your apartment, behind closed doors, your private area, your private life. Because Paul is addressing the church. And yes, those private households are a part of it. You as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a child. But he's addressing the church, the household of the church, as a whole. And I will tell you, as I started to study, and I start to look at references, and you start to see, there are many, 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 many more verses in Scripture about this relationship between those with and those without, between slaves and masters, than there are about husbands and wives, and there are about children and fathers. There's just so much more instruction in God's Word about those relationships. But if you look on my shelf, I've got a lot of books about marriage. I've got a lot of books about parenting. And we've all read them. We've all studied them. We've all heard that preach. We've all heard that be a priority in the teaching. And it is important. It is a priority. But it's been at the dismissal, right, of these other relationships. We haven't focused on those other things. We haven't cared about... He spends, just as, he spends more time on slaves and masters than he does on those other family relationships. But what do you guys know about slaves and masters? What do you guys know about the context of that? What do we know about how that impacts our life now? We have to think through that. And we have to process through. Because I'm not going to preach this the way you might have heard it. I'm not going to talk just about your, your nuclear family and then talk about, well, and, and what you do in the workplace. I want us to start from the context. I want us to come from that place. I want us to have, as we say, this high view of teaching God's Word. That we would teach the text according to the context as Paul would have intended so that we can understand it and that we can make application in our lives. What is God saying to us? What's His instruction to us? 
so to interpret this, we need to look at the text in context, right? I've said that before, I'll say that again. That's the goal, that's what we try to do. It can't mean now for us what it didn't mean then, all right? Paul wrote this letter with an intention to these people, to this church, and we can't take that letter and make it mean something different, all right? It means the same thing. Our application might look different, but it means the same thing, and we need to understand that. And so I don't want to make a division. I don't want to make a separation where Paul didn't make a division and where Paul didn't make a separation. Paul included it all together as the church. But what we tend to do is we want to compartmentalize. We hear that passage and we think, oh, I'm in the home or I'm outside the home. It's private or it's public. And we work on this grid where this is public and this is private. So the more this way is the more private, the more that way is the more public. And then up here would be uh, secular. Same in Spanish, right? And then uh, sacred. Right? We tend to think along these axes. Well, is he talking about the private area of our lives or the public area of our lives? Or is he talking about the, the sacred or the religious areas of our lives? Or is he talking about the secular, the worldly, the jo- in our jobs, etc.? And we tend to operate on this private side. Right? We tend to think about us. We tend to think about as an individual. We tend to think about my family, just my immediate family. And then we decide, is it sacred or is it secular? And we move back and forth between these two. But we don't spend much time over here in the public situation. Here is as a group, as a body, as a church. And Paul, when he's expressing this, he's not talking here, he's not talking here, he's not even just talking here or here. Paul is talking about this entire sphere. He's talking about this entire situation, this entire, every part, every relationship, whether it's private or public, whether it's secular, whether it's divine, whether it's religious. That's what he's addressing. And I don't want us to just think here. I don't want us to just think here. I want us to think of this and think in the context as a whole. Because that's what Paul was addressing. He was addressing the whole body of Christ. And he was addressing, as we've talked about in Colossians, their entire lives. Every part of your life is supposed to be impacted by the gospel. And so he doesn't then just go to talk about the private area, talk about the public. He's talking about everything. And I may seem excited about that. But as I read this, I'm like, I don't know that I've learned this right in the past. I've had these thoughts, these ideas that I already believed, that I already had considered, that had already been taught. But as I read the text, I'm like, I think this was Paul's intention. This was his purpose. And the point is he was writing this letter. And I remember being in school, going to seminary, and they even talk about preaching. And as you look at a passage, you're like, hey, what in this passage is most important for us? What in this passage is unique, right? What in this passage is unique for God's Word? What is it that God is trying to tell us through this passage? And so I don't want to go in depth about those specific relationships. And I'm not going to spend the majority of our time about marriage or about parenting. 
All right? I want to look at it as a whole, and I want to look at our relationships and how we, how we bring the new self right, that we've been putting on, how that new self shows up in these relationships. Because all of these relationships have something in common. Whether it's husbands and wives, whether it's children and fathers, whether it's slaves and masters. Okay? Listen to this. Pay attention to this. The one thing that you look at all those relationships, and there are relationships where there are those under authority, and there are those with authority. In every relationship, whether it be with a husband and wife, whether it be with children and fathers, slaves and masters, there are those that have authority, and there are those that are under authority. And so Paul wants us to think, as he's going through this, he doesn't go into specifics about every relationship and about the details. He's like, I want you to think in this way, in these relationships, inside the church, what does it look like to have the new self on when you're in these relationships, either under authority or in authority? This is completely countercultural. It was completely countercultural for what Paul was teaching in the first century. This made no sense in their culture. This was foreign to them to hear this. Because he addresses particularly, he talks about the women and the children and the slaves. And in that culture, in that time, you would not have recognized, you would not have spoken to, and for sure you would not have written a letter to the women, to the children, and to the slaves. They were unrecognized. They were unvalued. And they were considered unequal. Why would you address them? Let me give you, this is a quote from a first century author that's not a believer, not in the church. But this was the general understanding in the culture about these roles and about these individuals. It says, the husband and master is to rule the household by nature because the reasoning faculty in a woman is inferior. In children, it does not yet exist. And in the case of slaves, it's completely absent. That was their perspective. Why would I include these people? Why would I value these people? The women, they don't have the mental capacity. This is the perspective of the first century. They don't have the mental the same capacity as a man does. Children, they don't have it yet. And slaves, it's completely absent. But in speaking to them, in addressing them, Paul is giving these women these children, these slaves, he's giving them value, he's giving them dignity, and he's giving them honor in the church. And then he includes them first. Not only does he write them, but you look at this. Look at verse 18. What does it start with? It starts with wives. Then he goes to the husbands. Look at verse 20. It starts with the children. Then he goes to the fathers. Verse 22, it starts with slaves. And then finally in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, he goes to the masters. This would have been insulting in their culture. They, they would have read this and, and couldn't believe that Paul would write a letter and would address people in this way. And we don't get that. We read this, we read right over that. But that's the way it would have been received. That's the way it would have been intended at that time. 
And Paul is not saying that in the church, women are exactly the same as men. He's not saying in the church that slaves are the same as masters. He's not saying that in the church that children are the same as fathers. He's not saying that we are all uniform, but he is saying we are all of equal value. We are all of equal worth. And he's addressing them all with equality. You're all part of this body of Christ, right? You had nothing, but now you have Christ. You have different roles, and we're going to talk about these roles. There are some in authority, and there are some under authority. But this is how you're in different roles, but you're all of value. You're all of worth. And I can speak those words, and I'm like, great, there's going to be a misunderstanding of what I'm saying. And people, no, okay, listen to me. Listen to me, continue to go, okay? And we're going to talk through this. And if you have questions, bring them back to me, okay? We'll talk through it. But Paul is doing an amazing thing by addressing them in this culture. And then, particularly with the slaves. In the Roman Empire at this time, when Paul wrote this letter, there would have been over 60 million slaves. One-third of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. And what do you guys think was the population of the church? When the church moved out of Jerusalem, when it moved out of Palestine, where did it go? It went to the Roman Empire. And did it go to the higher-ups? Did it go to those in the high class or the middle class? No. It went to the slaves. It went to the poor. It went to the underprivileged. That's who responded to the gospel. That was who was the majority of the church would have been from this class. And so Paul spends, like I said, as much of this passage speaking to the slaves as he does to anyone else. Because the church would have existed of those people that were under this authority within the culture. So we can see that now. With that understanding, why would Paul have spent so many verses talking to the slaves, talking to the masters? talking to those who are under authority because that's what the church was consisted of, right? There were those that were high class there were those, there was all kinds but yet the majority would have been of that class and so that's who he speaks to all that background but now I want us to reread the passage okay? thinking differently, putting off, right? putting off how you might have learned it before okay? not dismissing all those ideas but in this passage, in this context let's consider what Paul is saying as he writes to this church in Colossae and what it would mean for us. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the role of authority and the relationships in the church, it impacts every relationship in the church. 
as we follow Jesus, as we're motivated by Jesus, and as we make Jesus visible. So we're going to look at in these types of relationships where there's those in authority and those under authority, how is it that we follow Jesus? How are we motivated by Jesus or motivated by the gospel? And then how is it that those relationships make Christ visible? So first, follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus in these relationships? Look specifically at the instructions that Paul gives. In verse 18, when he's talking to the wives, what does he say? He says, submit. And you might think, if you're a man, well, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I'm glad I'm not a wife. I don't have to submit. And as I was talking to Nidia, and we'll get to this later, well, I'm glad I'm not a man. I'm glad I don't have to lead. I'm glad I don't have that responsibility. I promise you, from whatever perspective, whatever role you're in, sometimes the other side looks better. But he is telling, and he's telling to the wives, he's like, submit. And I would tell you, everyone sitting here, that submission is a part of everyone's role. We will all experience, we are all asked to respond in submission. It's a part of everyone's role in the church. I can show you the passages. We are to submit to your leaders. You're to submit to elders. We're to submit to the government. We're to submit to one another. And we're to submit to Christ. It's not just the wives, okay? But this is the relationship he's talking about in the church, but we all experience that. That's biblical. And submission is voluntary. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do it. Submission is something that the person who is going to submit, it's their choice to submit. It's of their own will. It's of their own volition. I know this is what God is asking of me. I know in this relationship I need to submit. Am I going to submit? Okay? Never in Scripture, as you look at this, does it say a husband is supposed to come and force his wife to submit. Never does it say that a husband is supposed to rule over his wife. Never does it say a leader in the church should force everyone to submit. Right? As a member of the church, to leadership, it's, it's, it's your choice. Like, it, it's my, I have to decide, am I going to submit? A wife makes that choice. She voluntarily takes this place and says, I'm going to come underneath my husband. I'm going to come underneath and I'm going to submit. I'm going to move in this direction. He is going to lead. I'm going to follow. But it's something for all of us. Obedience. Look at verse 20 and verse 22. We're to submit. And then he says to the children. In verse 20 he says, children, obey. Then he gets, he gets to slaves. He says, slaves, obey. Just like submission, obedience is a part of all of our roles in the church. At some time or another, we will obey. We'll be, we're asked to be obedient with one another. We talk about it, let's be obedient to the word of Christ. Let's come underneath, let's listen to the word of Christ, and let's respond accordingly. We're to be obedient to the word, we're to obey Christ. We're to be obedient, all of us, each of us, whether we're a child, whether we're a slave, all of us are to be obedient to Christ. It's not something different, something new. We're to listen to him and to obey his commands. In verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Is that just for me? 
Just for specific ones of you that were to love? No, it's for all of us, right? In this situation, in this instance, he's speaking directly to the husbands. As you who are in authority, make sure that you love your wife, that you put her before you, that you consider her before you consider yourself. But we know, we've been talking about this as we've gone through Colossians, that to love is all of our responsibility. As we put on the new self, what does it say? Above all things, put on love, right? For this one another, as we put each other before ourselves, as I say, no, you before me, God before me. We're to put on love. It's what we all do. We're all held to that. And what I want you to see is that each of these roles and each of these instructions, whether it be to submit, whether it be to obey, whether it be to love, whether it be uh, for the other things to act justly and fairly, these are all Jesus' roles. These are all roles that Jesus did. These are all roles that he, he showed us and that He made visible to us. And so the question is, as we have on this new self, are we relating to each other the way that Jesus related? When He was in a position of authority or when He was in a position under authority? Are we responding in this new self, putting on Christ? Are we acting, are we responding and thinking the same way? And these are our relationships directly in the church as it's talking about with husbands, with wives, with children, with fathers, with slaves, and with masters that exist in our culture. And we have to figure out, well, how, how, do, how do these relationships show Christ? And I will tell you that He was the ultimate example. Christ is the ultimate example for both of these. Let me share with you passages. When he was under authority, right, he voluntarily, Jesus voluntarily put himself under the authority of others, under the authority of God the Father, in submission and obedience. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. It's talking about Jesus in verse 6. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? But he became submissive. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Same word, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus, not considering equality with God a thing to be grasped, said, I am going to submit and I am going to become obedient. And he did it to the point of death on a cross. You or I will not be submissive and will not be obedient to that extent. That's under authority. Now look at when he was in authority. What does Jesus do? He shows this love that Paul instructs us to have. When he was in authority with his disciples, he's sitting down, he's just completed washing the disciples' feet. He's just done this demonstration of love for them. And in verse 13 of John 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, right? I have this position of authority in your lives. I'm teacher and I'm Lord. That's what you call me. That's where you've placed me. That's the position I have. And you are right, for so I am. He agrees with them. But in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. Whether we're in authority, whether we're under authority, we're to what? We're to do as Christ has done. If we're under authority, we're to submit and obey. If we're in authority, then we're to love. Put my life before yours. Jesus, as their teacher and Lord, got on his knees and washed their feet. He, he put them before himself. He showed that to them visibly. And then the next, he goes to the cross. Do we get that? That these are both Jesus' roles. And I think I got this the first time we were reading a book about marriage. It's from Tim Keller. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. And there's one chapter that his wife writes. They write the book together, but there's this one chapter that she focused on. And she talks about this idea of headship, right? Of a husband having headship over the home, headship over his wife. And what that looks like for him to love her as he loves himself. And what that looks like for the wife to submit, to serve. And she said, these are both Jesus' roles. I get to play a Jesus role, and my husband gets to play a Jesus role. We both get to respond and act like Jesus. Jesus has shown us both what this looks like. And when I heard that, I know I believe in this idea of headship, but it's sort of hard to talk about, and I'm a little uncomfortable, and what are people going to think? But as you look at that, these are both Jesus' roles. We get to both display Jesus, both the husband and the wife, both the father and the children, both the slave and the master, they're both, if you're in these roles, you're going to display Christ. And Christ has shown you how to do that. That makes all the difference if we think about that. I'm playing a Jesus role. Jesus has given this role to me, and He has shown me how to do it. But they're not limited to just these relationships. If Paul wanted to talk about just these relationships, he would have gone into more detail explaining just these specific relationships. There's no way for us to live out in the church. Sometimes you're going to be under authority. Sometimes you're going to be that one in authority. There's no way for us to live in those relationships, for us to be obedient, for us to be submissive, for us to love one another, if we don't have the new self. It is hopeless. If we are helpless, if we haven't put on the new self, we cannot respond, we cannot display Christ in these relationships. And so are you actively involved in relationships? Not just in your home, right? But think bigger. Think your life. Think your church family. Not just your home family. Think your church family. Think your life. Not just private, but also public. In your life, are you involved in relationships where you're submitting, where you're obeying, and where you're loving, like Christ did? Are we in relationships where we're having to respond that way in the new self? Does that describe any part of your life? Love, submission, obedience. And you might say, well, I'm not going to argue with you about love. You know, I know that one. I mean, we've heard that one over and over again. That's pretty clear. And I'll do my best to try and love people. But, but the obedience, the mission, isn't that a little antiquated, right? That's like old school. That's what I see here in the text. Because those are roles, those are relationships that exist 
in our culture that exists in the church, those in authority and those under authority. And we have to learn how to live them out in a way that would show Jesus. We can't ignore those relationships. If we didn't operate in those relationships, of those in authority and those under authority, we wouldn't display Jesus Christ in His fullness. Well, I like these things that you showed Jesus, but I don't like these submission, obedience. I'm just going to work on the love piece, right? But if we as a body just show love and we never show submission and obedience, how are we showing the fullness of Christ? And that's what Paul is saying. It's like, don't you want to make the invisible Jesus Christ visible, right? Just as Christ came and He made God who was invisible, visible. We read that in Colossians. He's saying for you to do this, you have to operate. You can't neglect these relationships. You can't act like they don't exist. But you can live in them in a way that honors Christ. You can live in them in a way that follows Him. But thankfully we're not commanded just to suck it up and do it. We're not commanded just to suck it up and just do what's right and just be submissive, be obedient, and just do love out of your will. If we tried that in our own efforts, we would give up quickly. If you know, if you've tried, okay, I'm, okay, I'm going I'm to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient in this situation. I'm going to be submissive in this situation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. What happens? You fall apart. It doesn't last very long. There's only so long that you and yourself, that the old self can hold that, can, 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 can respond that way. But in the new self, God, His Spirit that lives in us, can empower us to respond this way. He's our motivation. Look in this passage. I want to show you how, as Paul speaks to each of these in these roles, he says your motivation is not me. Your motivation is not your brother and sister. Your motivation is not what people are going to think. Your motivation is Jesus Christ. You're following Him, and He's your motivation. Look at verse 18. As is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20. For this pleases the Lord. Verse 22, the second part. Fearing the Lord. Verse 24. Serving the Lord. It's the Lord you're serving. Or verse 23. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Jesus is our motivation as we follow Him in these relationships where we're in authority or under authority. He's our example. He's our motivation. He is the reason that we would do that. And we should be responding to each other in these relationships as if we were responding to Christ Himself. Because submitting to your husband is like submitting to the Lord. Wives, you don't have to wait on your husband to love you for you to submit to the Lord because Jesus has loved you. Loving your wife is like loving the Lord. Husbands, you don't have to wait on your wife to be submissive to you and your relationship for you to love her because Jesus Christ has been submissive on your behalf. He's our motivation. Obeying and working for your masters is like obeying the Lord. You don't have to wait to work hard 
until your master is just or fair. Because Jesus Christ was just and Jesus Christ was fair. That's your motivation. That's what Paul says here. That's the reason, that's the way that we can do this is because Jesus has done it for us. And I will tell you guys, as I've sat down and had the experience now to sit down with individuals or sit down with couples and any type of counseling or you guys knowing discipleship, you end up talking about these issues that you have with other people. And if you sit down with a husband or a wife, the husband says, you know, when the wife's not there, well, listen, listen, listen. I, I understand I'm supposed to love my wife, but you don't live with my wife. All right? You see one thing, but you don't see what I see at home. And, and you know what? It, it is, I just can't love her because of the way she is. And you can hear the wife, and she says, well, you know what? I know I'm supposed to be submissive, and I know he doesn't have... I don't, you know... But, but you don't know my husband. You haven't lived in my household. You haven't had to love somebody like my husband. People talk about their jobs. I would work hard, but you don't know my boss. My boss is not just. My boss is not fair. My boss takes advantage of me. I'm not going to work. I mean, if I'm waiting on him, and then I'll, and I'll begin to work hard. What if Jesus waited on us? Right? What if he would have waited on us to love him before he submitted on the cross? I'll give myself for you after you are submissive. After you submit yourself to me, I will show this love. What if he would have gone to God the Father, who had authority over him, who he was being obedient to, and said, God, have you seen these people? Have you seen these people that you're asking me to be obedient and go to the cross and pay for their sin? Do you see what kind of people they are? How could anybody love these type of people? They are more sinful than you can ever imagine. They're nasty. They're dirty. You want me to die for those people? He didn't wait on us. He went ahead and He died on our behalf. He went ahead and He loved. He went ahead and He submitted. It wasn't dependent on the other. It wasn't dependent on us. And when you're in those relationships, whether you're in authority or under authority, it doesn't depend on the other person for you to love, for you to submit, and for you to be obedient. Jesus Christ is our motivation. He loved us when we were unlovable. God shows His love for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. While we were still sinners, He died for us. He's loved the church despite our appearance. He's loved this church despite our actions. And He continues to love us despite how we respond to Him. So is there a relationship that you have in your home, that you have in this church home, in this body, in this family, or that you have outside in the, in the, in the public arena, that you are waiting, I'm waiting, I'm going to love, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to submit as soon as they do this in return. 
Think through your relationships and think through your interactions. Is there a relationship like that where you are waiting on that other person before you respond in a way that God has instructed us, before you respond in the new self that we've been instructed to put on? I'll submit, but only after you've earned my respect and you love me in the way that I want to be loved. I'll obey, but only if I don't disagree strongly with you and you ask me in a nice way and give me good reasons. Then I'll obey. I'll love, but only if it doesn't require me to sacrifice too much of my time or any other relationships that I think are more important. If that's the case, in all those situations, am I waiting on those things before I submit and obey and love? Because those are all thoughts, those are all justifications that I have processed, that are in my head, that are in my heart, as I think about responding. And we have to work through that. Are we waiting on that other person? Are we looking to Jesus Christ and saying, I don't need that other person to do anything because Jesus Christ has done it. That's what it would look like to put on the new self and to interact in these relationships. And you might say, well, I'm waiting. And I tried that before. I tried it. I tried it with my husband that one time back in 2008 when I was submissive to him. And it didn't work out well for me. Right? He just took advantage of me. Or, you know what, I was obedient. Or there was that leader at church in this previous, previous church, obviously, right? That I, I submitted to. And then it just it didn't work out for me. Like, where was the blessing? What happened? Like, I didn't get treated the way I wanted to get treated. I mean, I, I did that. I obeyed. Or I submitted. Or I loved. And all I did was get burned. Did Jesus get burned? Did it work out really well for him when he went to the cross? Does God promise us that? As you submit, as you obey, as you love, life is going to be roses. All right? You're going to be comfortable. Everybody's going to love you back. Everybody's going to submit back. Everybody's going to be obedient back. He doesn't promise us that. Right? Just as he said with Jesus, he's like, he humbled himself, he became obedient to the point of the cross, and then God exalted him. Right? Then God exalted him to a name that is above every name, where every knee shall bow, where every tongue confess that he is Lord. After that, then God exalted him. What did we read in Colossians 3 at the beginning of the chapter, right? Right now, our life is hidden with Him. At the time to come, right, we're going to be with Him for eternity, right? There is a time right now we're submitting, right now we're obeying, right now we're loving in these relationships in the church. And at that later time, we're going to be exalted. We're going to be raised up with Him because we are seated with Him. That is coming. That's what He's saying here in this passage. So don't wait. That time won't come. Obedience and submission and love is not required of us for eternity, but it's required for us for a lifetime. As long as we are here, we are required to do those things, right? There'll come a point when we're going to not have to put on the new self because we're going to be raised with Christ. That's going to be realized. Will be made new. There won't be this struggle. But for now, this is going to be your life. If you are part of the body of Christ, if you know Him, if you've received Him, then this is a part of your life. 
And if we do that, then the last thing, we're going to make him visible. If we respond in these ways, Jesus Christ will be made famous here. He'll be made famous amongst them. We will proclaim who He is. We will proclaim what He has done. And we'll proclaim the transformation that happens in the lives of individuals that know Him, that put on Christ. We will make Jesus visible. Whether we are in authority or whether we're under authority, just as Christ made God visible, He said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says to His disciples, as God has sent me, now I'm sending you. He's taken the baton. He's handed us this role. I played this role. I showed you this role. Now I want you to go and live out this role as well. This is your role now until I come back. This is your role now into a new heaven and a new earth. Until I make all things new. So we can't devalue. We can't dismiss. We can't ignore these relationships where there's those in authority and those under authority. But we need to live in them as if we were reflecting Christ. And guys, we have to come back to the cross. When we're in these relationships of authority, we have to come back to the cross. If we remove the cross, if we forget the cross, that makes no sense whatsoever to act in that way, to think in that way, to respond in that way. But we can look to the cross and we can look to see what Jesus Christ has done. And He had the most ultimate, the most amazing display of love, of obedience and submission right there on the cross when He did all those things for us. We don't have to look any further. So all things are possible through Him who demonstrated those things for us. That's what I want for us. That's what Paul is saying to this church in Colossae. I want you to walk in these relationships like Jesus. I want you to put on the new self when you're in authority or when you're over or when you're under authority. Please do that. Please do that, guys. Please do that in your relationships. Think about our relationships with each other. Think about our relationships in our family at home. Think about our relationships in the public domain. We've got to bring this to bear.